Last Sunday morning, Cody Kerr was uh, sitting in this service, right in the middle. Um, group prayed with him regarding his epilepsy. That was during the prayer time. And then during the week, we found out he had drowned in most likely an epileptic seizure. Um, 20-year-old kid. You know, and just... I. You can't help but look at a situation like that and say, could have been any of us that was taken, right? You assume that with a 20-year-old, they're going to live for many years. It's just our, our natural assumption in life. But that, that isn't a guarantee. And uh, Saturday, we did a or we had a memorial service for Loretta Jarvis, the little old lady who used to sit up here. And I, I mean, Loretta wasn't a big surprise. She'd been failing in health and over the last year had had more and more falls and whatever happens in old age. And there's a certain sense of, well, okay, it's just, it was time, you know. <laughs> but when we, when we truly examine that, we just don't know whose time is up, so to speak. You know, when I, when I go through the Scripture and I see early in, the, in Acts that James was beheaded, why James? I, <laughs> there were 12 disciples. Judas was gone. But James, that just kind of came out of the blue to be the first one of that group to die as a martyr. And you're, you're looking at it, and you're going, well, but it happened. Or you have Stephen, a young man, a righteous man, one of the deacons. Why him of the seven? We don't know. That he was the one chosen. But it, it, if anything, it speaks to us that our times are not in our hands. Um. Paul, when he was writing in Philippians, he's sitting in prison and he's not sure that he's going to get out. He, know a judgment, he knows that a judgment could go against him where he is uh, executed. And so he says, I think, I think that God has more work for me to do, but I, you know, so I'm assuming that I'm going to get out of this. But later you read 2 Timothy and he's going... This is the end. You know, run the race, fought the fight, finished the course, you know, all of that. He just says, this is nearly over. And again, it's one of those things, of our times are in God's hands. So those, I was chewing on those things this week when I was looking at some of our readings. And I want to look at Luke 10, and it'll take me just a bit to get to my thought in connection with this, but... I, in, the, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. And uh, he has some, some things that he makes declaration. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he says, this is the call upon us. And he's saying, pray earnestly about these things. So, you know, when we hear like... Um, the Southern Baptists are, are planning a church here in town. We can pray, God, 
Bless them, make them fruitful in that effort. North Iron starts a church at home. God bless them, make them fruitful. We need to see the kingdom expand. First Baptist, Chad Mager's back there, and I'm going, God bless you. May you be fruitful in this. When I pray about this place, a constant prayer is, may workers go out and harvest. That's, that's an appropriate prayer to be praying all the time. And so we pray that for others, we pray that for ourselves. It's just Jesus makes that declaration. And so, you know, when, when Jesus says, pray about this, makes sense. Pray about that. And so it should continually be in our thinking, so to speak. This is part of what we're called to. And, and so we want to flourish in that. We want others to flourish in that as well. Um, that said, when he sends them out... He says, I'm, I'm sending you out into a hostile place. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And you're going, okay, that explains some of the, the things that they ran into. I mean, you're going out and you're saying, God loves you. Has a good plan for your life. You're being instructed to love others. And yet somehow this message doesn't work. Or it, it becomes adversarial, or it becomes angering to others. You're going, there's something here that just doesn't seem to make sense. And yet he's saying that's the environment that we're a part of. That's the day that we're a part of. But it's astounding to me that when he sends them out, he says, um, you know, I'm sending you out like this. Uh, don't take any money. Don't. Don't pack any supplies, and don't take any extra clothes like the shoes. And he says, don't greet anyone along the way. Don't try to be making a lot of connections to make this work. And that seems to be the opposite of what we would want. But there is something in us that when God calls us to things, our own shrewdness is not going to be the thing that really carries the day. And so he was kind of helping them understand that from the very beginning, that ultimately, if this is a God vision, it's going to have to have God input for it to even work. And so there are times when you know, we look at things and we try to maneuver through our own shrewdness, and that is not the full effect of the kingdom of God. In fact, when you have success in those times, all you do is go back and say, well, I, I did this, but I'm not sure if God was in that or not. Or there are other times, on the other hand, where you're going, I gave up on that dream so long ago, and suddenly it's coming true. You know, the things that I thought I could make happen, and it didn't, and yet this is taking place in spite of me, then there's a sense of, God is in this, and his timing is here. But in this particular passage with these 72, he sends them out to the villages that he's going to go to, and, and he, in a sense, has them start out with this nothing. You know, we, we, we end up getting to that place. But again, this isn't a declaration that anytime you go to do something from God, you just don't try to plan at all. That's not what he's saying. But at the same time, there must be an awareness in your heart that ultimately God has to rule the day. 
And so anyway, they go out, and he gives them some other instructions about praying peace on a house, not moving to different settings, like maybe I can improve this place that I'm at. But ultimately, they come back, and they're, they're, they're filled with joy. And they're going, even demons submitted to us. This was mind-blowing. This went way beyond anything we dreamed possible. And this is, this is one of the things I, I want to get to this morning. He comes back to him and says, yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven, and I'm giving you authority over scorpions and serpents and all of that. In other words, what were some of the dangers of that day that would come unseen and unannounced and you know, people were still afraid of because they were deadly? It'd be like a serpent, right? Or a, or a scorpion, you know, that you certainly, you're not just going looking for trouble, but sometimes it comes to you. And in that, he's saying, you know, I'm giving you power over all of that. But he says, that's not what you really ought to get caught up in. You know, in us, there's this like, man, I want to understand spiritual warfare. I want to be victorious in this. I want to have the power of God working through situations, seeing his kingdom expand. Yeah, it's all valuable. But he also is saying, this isn't the biggest issue. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, doesn't that seem kind of basic? Why would we rejoice that our names are written in heaven over the power of the kingdom advancing? Conquering Satan's foothold. Even Satan is temporal. And the effect of Satan is temporal. The salvation that you have is forever. And so, in the matter of priorities, the thing that we keep coming back to with joy is that our names are written in heaven. And so he's, he's saying, you know, that, and, and, you know, then I start chewing on, well, how much of my life is caught up in the temporal? I mean, even the church as we know it and the battle that we're in, it's temporal. It's not as important as the eternal. You can do that on a time frame, and you can say, well, it goes on forever and ever, so it makes sense to put more energy into that. But also, even in a, in a setting, the idea of setting is, says, you know, there's no more decay, there's no more sorrow and sickness and death. So the eternal that doesn't have any of that but has true health in every measure that's a much more important setting, much more valuable to us. And so our, our, our focus has to be upon that if we're going to truly carry what God has brought in message to us. And the beauty of salvation in Him and that hope of eternity has always got to be a part of our thinking. And so I go back and I start going, how much of my life is consumed with the temporal? Truthfully, a lot of it. And I have to keep sorting out, you know, what, 
What am I doing that I'm preoccupied that isn't valuable? Or what really should be changing? I've been <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm going to do this, but it, well, I will at some point, but I'm, I was thinking about the whole thing of fasting. And, uh, you know, I was thinking like 40-day fast, but not food this time. But I've, I'm considering asking those I'm close to, like my wife, we're close, um, and other family members and friends saying, okay, if I was to change one thing, what would you recommend? You know, and then maybe trying that for 40 days. I'm not sure I'm brave enough to do that quite yet. But, you know, what if we had a list like that and we're saying, I'm, I'm wanting to set myself up for eternity. And others see me as I am, and, and even though I get used to denying the things that are a part of my life that I don't want to deal with, what would it be like to just say, okay, I am now fasting X? I don't even want to give you for instances because <laughs> I'm afraid you'll say, yeah, do that. <laughs> you know? But it's, I, I mean, we get so caught up in the temporal that all of our thinking goes that way. And it's like, well, how do we break out of that? And how do we truly invest in the eternal? And it might be some of these fasts would be very fitting for us even as a group to just say, okay, I'm going to take this on. Whether I'm victorious or not, I'm going to go after this thing. I mean, could I go 40 days without complaining? Uh, Good question. And I'll let you fill in your own blanks. E- even in, in regard to temporal things, I mean, think of all the energy. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Think of all the energy that we put into our sexuality. First to find the mate to be intimate with, and then the rest of marriage trying to figure out how to make this the most special. And, and, and there is a value in that in regard to intimacy. And it is, a, it is a very precious gift from the Lord. And it is that communion and connecting at a level of body, soul, and spirit, so to speak. But ultimately, it is temporal, Right? Ultimately, it, it's this lifetime. And so it is never going to fully satisfy the eternal because it's a temporal thing. And, and so we have to, to come to terms with such things and say, Can it be precious in the Lord, and does he have desires to teach us how to be good lovers and be loved? Yes, absolutely. But bottom line is, it's still this lifetime. And so, it is a fraction of what true life is about. And so, it it doesn't, I mean, we can put a lot more into it and desire a lot more out of it than what it's to give because it is a this lifetime thing. 
It's the same way with our occupations, you know, and, and I want to re be respected. I want to have security. I want to, you know, our, our pride drives a lot of it, but it's also that thing of this will get me to this place and this, this is what I need to achieve. And that's a drive early, early on. That's why at times, you know, you, you see guys get locked into athletic mode because they were successful at one point in, in high school and they live with that dream well past that and never get beyond it. Why? Because it, it was that they had the glory for a moment and then it started evaporating. And there's a whole lot of other things. I've seen academics do it, get out of school and still be academic for years and years and years and years, and you're going, those were a long, that was a long time ago. Get over it. You know, it's just, each of us has those kind of things. But if we evaluate it in light of eternity, we have to say, it's still temporal, it's this lifetime. And so when we grab on to a phrase like this, even though you might have incredible spiritual power on this earth that even the demon, you're driving back the darkness. Rah, rah. And he's going, yeah, that's good, but there's more. In fact, even this core idea that your name is written in heaven, that's bigger. It's... The, the reason I'm going there is like, when a guy like Cody leaves our midst, there is still a hope in us that says his life in the temporal is a lot shorter than we expected. But in the eternal, guy's better off. It's a good deal. You know, and, and we can, there is something in us that clings to that and says, this is still good in the Lord even though circumstances in the temporal didn't work out at all like we anticipated. And then, you know, we just, you know, that our names are written in heaven. Jesus says, that's what you need to rejoice about. Okay, one other passage quickly. This is a 1 Thessalonians 4. And truthfully, we haven't done many funerals here, but this is a passage that regularly gets read at the graveside. Or at least that's what I did for years and years when I was doing lots of funerals, until I got in a young church. You know? <laughs> but uh, this, this is out of Thessalonians. It says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, that those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So he says, some die, but you don't let that carry the day like you nor well like others would who don't have this hope. Jesus died and rose again. That's the essence of and core of what we believe, and we believe that with that power that he exerted, that he's drawing us into life as well. And so he's going to bring with them those who have fallen asleep. Again, another this is a phrasing for those who have died. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
It's interesting, this book is written fairly early in his writings, and he's still writing from the point of, I may well be a part of this resurrection as a living one. But, you know, later he's writing saying, no, that's, that's not in my lifetime. In Timothy, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and command, the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So he says that's the hope that we continue to carry. He says encourage one another with these words. And then the chapter ends, but he doesn't end the thought. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It says the Lord's going to return, but it's going to be sudden and we're not necessarily going to know the exact timing. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. If you want pregnancy stories, just talk to Shar. I've got nothing for you. But he says it's going to hit you suddenly. You're dying out there, aren't you? Sauna Sunday. <laughs> it's a special season. Okay, a couple more verses. You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light, children of the day, not of the night, not of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He says, you have this anticipation and expectation, so you live your life accordingly. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. He says, that's, that's nighttime activity. But you, you belong to the day. So let us be sober. Now this, I, I, this is not primarily an argument against alcohol, Okay? He's saying, he's, this is an illustration saying some live their lives unaware of what's going on. It's like they're asleep. Others cloud their behavior by what they're doing. And it's, they're, they don't have the focus to really know what's going on. But he says, you're to be part of the light. So you're to have an awareness in you that's sharp. It's not sleeping, it's not drunk, it's alert. Aware of the times, so to speak. And then he goes on and says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is a, appears to be the first time that he's using this picture of spiritual armor. He keeps tweaking the language of it in Ephesians. It's, he comes out with a much more detailed picture. But again, I'd encourage you not to get caught up in just the armor idea because it's different than what we're used to. But get caught up with the idea that, that we're to develop faith and love in our lives. And we have this protection of salvation to guard our, our thinking and our thoughts. Hope of salvation. For God did not, has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice that your names are written down. <laughs> Who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. So that's our hope. That's our hope for Cody. Cody. That's our hope for Loretta. That's our hope for each one here. I hope to see you again next week, but even if I don't, right? We have a hope for each other and for ourselves. Praise to God. Thank you for your mighty salvation that opens the door to the eternal for us, that rescues us from a day of wrath, that allows us to expect an eternity that is filled with joy in you. Help us to let our thinking of today be guided by such principle. Amen. In regard to this, I need to ask you, is your hope in the eternal secure in your heart in regard to your relationship with God? Are you at peace? Do you know that you have his salvation? That needs to be the first step. So I'd encourage you. If that's still a question, then you need to get with someone that you trust and let them help you with this. Um, there's opportunity for prayer up here. And some, if you don't know anyone in particular, that'd be the easiest. But let's take care of that. Secondly, it may be that you're looking at this saying, you know, my life is pretty straightforward temporal as far as the things that I chase and what I do and it may be that you need to make some peace with the Lord so to speak and say this area is something I should focus on and get rid of for you and uh, let him speak to you as to what that would be and step forward into it again this is what remains is open-ended worship and then uh, just we'll continue as long as we can bear the heat that. I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you and uh, just ask God to do that. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the hope that is in you, the constant hope of the eternal. I pray, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you will make them agents of your harvest. That their words would be life-giving. That their actions would be fitting with the workings of your kingdom. That you would gift them with the supernatural. That would allow them to drive back the workings of darkness. We love you being exalted, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.